Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. I always say my two, my two Olympics were so different. They could not have been any different than black and white. Mesdames et messieurs. The greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? I am well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. We did some summer biathlon this past weekend. Oh, mm -hmm. how you feeling? You know, my legs are tired. I channeled my inner Dawn Harper Nelson because in the morning while I was eating my slice of bread with nut butter... I thought, don't stand at the counter. You got to sit down. You can't keep standing and waste your leg strength. So I felt good about that. While I was running, I channeled my inner Lopez Lamong of the book Running With My Life, which we are working on for our next book club selection because I finished that this weekend and it's a good read. So if you haven't done that, get, get, your, get your copy and get started. And then what I forgot to do was channel my inner Claire Egan because I only hit two targets and had to run 18 penalty laps. Oh. Yep. Here's the thing. We figured out it was because Ben had gotten us new rifle stocks. And this is really cool. So rifle is a barrel and trigger action and there's a bolt and then it kind of sits in a stock, right? And on my gun, it's this plastic wood stock that's kind of heavy. So... Emily Dreisagacker, who is who was at uh, Pyeongchang on the U.S. biathlon team, her brother Ethan has a company that makes adjustable rifle stocks for biathlon rifles. Now, biathlon rifles are like at least $1,500. They are expensive things. And this Lost Nation stock is... <sighs> I don't know if it's kind of composite stuff, but it's it's metal, it's machined, and you can push. It, it's got a. It, it does have an adjustable thing that you can make it make it longer to fit you if you have longer arms or or shorten it to be for a shorter person. And so the last time we went to biathlon, somebody told Ben about this, and like he could not wait to get home and order some stocks. He's like, "We're getting you a stock." <laughs> I know, I know, I know. So the stocks came, and oh, and they come in colors too. So I got a green stock, and Ben got a blue stock. And they come, and he takes my rifle apart, and the stock doesn't fit right. So he had to send them back and send a bunch of videos and pictures to show what's going on with it, so hopefully they can fix it. Well, then he had to put my rifle back together, and we didn't zero it in properly, so I had to zero in on the morning of the race and zeroing in is when you kind of you you practice shooting and you see where the bullets are landing and you can adjust your sights accordingly to where the bullets go and mine wasn't sighting very well so i just kind of had to guess where to aim and i guess i was i don't think that's what targets. you're supposed to do jill well i was aiming away from i was aiming at the targets but i was close it was a long, tough day on the biathlon range. Fun. I'm it was sorry. very, very fun, but it was Good. a tough day. 
did you race the race part well? You know, it would have been nice to know how I, if, if I could have matched the number of shots that I got in my last race, it would be cool to know because I felt like I ran better. I've been doing a little, a little bit of weightlifting, so I feel a little bit stronger than I did before. Okay. So that's that. I'm sorry. That's okay. How about you? How'd you get active this weekend? No, I didn't. <laughs> How was your couch sport? My couch sport was I didn't spend enough time on the couch. Okay. I did some laundry training. Oh, that's always helpful. Yes, and I did some uh, work workouts. Okay. Like for work. Okay. And um, then I, I just didn't sleep this weekend very well. So I oh. did not do any of the things that you're supposed to do. Ah, uh, I'm sorry. This weekend. That's what that's for. I also did not sleep very much. So this weekend I will be working on my sleep sport. Yeah, I very think so. excited to train for that. But I might I might need some extra practice. <laughs> Would that be called nap sport? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> nap training for sleep sport. <laughs> we do we... intervals. You sleep for five minutes and then Okay. Get to REM, get to light, get to REM, get to deep. Yeah. <laughs> Back to REM. <laughs> Whatever works. That's right. I think we could write a manual on that. Or make a video. Here's how you do your couch sport. There you go. Nap sport, sleep sport. We've got it covered. Let's get to this week's guest, who is Dawn Harper Nelson. She is back with us for a second week because her interview was so good. And she is so fascinating. Um, as you might remember, she is a two-time Olympic medalist in the 100-meter hurdles. She won gold at Beijing in 2008 and silver in London 20 at London 2012. Last week, we talked about how she got into the hurdles. And this week, we're talking about her victory in Beijing, how close she came to repeating at London, and the devastating experience of not making the Rio 2016 team. Take a listen. When you went to Beijing, what was the going there like? Because at the time it was, oh, the air is terrible. Oh, the, the, all those issues around being in Beijing. Right. It was, I would say, obviously extremely exciting. But you, I mean, you really like, I don't know what, what I'm getting into. Because like you said, they were talking about the air so much. That, I mean, you, you, I thought that I was going to get off the plane. Honestly, I like not get free. Like that's how they were kind of like, it's going to be so bad. Like you know, they were saying I asked if they're going to get sick from it. And so you're thinking like, I don't do all this. None of us did all this training because this Olympics didn't get sick because of the air quality. So we were terrified. And I remember packing, you know, all of the masks and stuff, you know, for me to wear. So we first got there, and they were. Uh, I remember it was in the papers and the you know, on the news talking about like showing us athletes getting off the planes with our masks on. You know, we were scared. Then you get there, you know, therefore, why you're like, oh, it's fine. Like, you know, it's, I mean, but it's just like you saw, like, taking off our mask. Well, like, the whole day I did before work, so I was nervous. Then eventually we took it off because you're like, well, now that I'm, like, running and stuff, I don't have time to be breathing in this mask. Like, it's just not possible. And so you realize, like, oh, my goodness, it's a-okay. And then in Olympic Village, like, our food is fine because they always, in the village, they always have the dining hall that these stations that cater to almost, like, every type of cuisine you can think of, you know, because they have people, they have people from all over the world, so they can't just say, oh, everyone's going to eat pasta. So, no, they have, you know, like your Chinese food, literally, I mean, I'm talking about, like, live octopus, like, I mean, it was amazing to see the foods that were around, you know, and then you had your dishes, you know, your Italian dishes, and you had, you know, just your different cuisines all over. But the one thing that we all agreed on across the world was McDonald's, and it was awesome. And so the lines were just unreal. But going there, like I said, you know, that expectation of it. The biggest thing was really, you know, like the air quality that we thought, but it was fine. And, you know, wondering about how, like, transportation was going to be. But for the athletes, it was it was great. I mean, you know, I think we all got on a bus and they escorted us, you know, to the track and back. So we didn't have any issues with that. My family, they didn't really have an issue either. The only thing was because where they stayed was on a lot more tourists. You know, they just had issues getting taxis because they said just the lines were crazy. But I thought they did actually did a really good job considering how we thought it was going to be. Did you get to go to the opening ceremonies? So, oh, oh my goodness. 
know for most of it, I didn't because they were too close to when I was going to compete. And I remember the first uh, Olympics, you know, people were saying, like, I don't know if you should go. Well, there were some that were saying, like, they weren't going to go. And so I was asking, like, why? I'm like, it's the Olympic ceremony. You're supposed to go. And the big concern was, when you go there, you stand the whole time. The Olympic ceremonies are, like, four hours. Right. And so, you know, I mean, as an athlete, I am like, you can't, right now, you can't ask me to go anywhere and just stand for four hours. If I have practice tomorrow, I'm not going anywhere to stand for four hours. So you're like, I'm at the Olympics. Absolutely not. So I remember hearing athletes that came back and they were talking about how their legs were cramping because they were standing. You know, eventually everyone tried to sat on the ground, you know, to look up and just look at all the, you know, festivities that were going on. But I was like, I would have been, I, you know, just visible, like, oh, like, really paranoid, you know, thinking like, oh, my God, I'm still standing, I shouldn't be standing. And so for the second Olympics, I definitely, I went outside with everyone that had on their uniforms and I took pictures with everybody. And then when they walked off, I just looked outside of my window, you know, just had a lot of things to watch on TV. Because it was probably, like, you know, once again, it was a couple of days before. And I remember the next day I had his coach practice with my coach. And he was not going to care that I went to the Olympics. He had me an opening ceremony. He was going to be like, you should have been sitting down the whole time. What did you think about going into Beijing? Going into Beijing, I was thinking about the fact that OMG, I'm actually going. Like, I could not. It was like, I could, but I could not comprehend. I'm going to the Olympics, and I'm not going to just watch. Like, I'm going to compete. And it really, like, to me, it was, it was so exciting, but it was so nerve-wracking because literally it meant either my life was going to change for better or it was going to stay the same. I was working three jobs. I had to take time off of my three jobs. It's like, if you don't go here and get the job done, in reality, you have four more years to wait. And so, you know, you put that pressure on yourself, although, you know, my coach is like, you know, there's no pressure, you know, no one's so expecting it. He's like, we know what we're expecting, you know, from you, like, oh, what you're capable of. And he's like, don't put that pressure on yourself. And you're like, okay, but you still know, I feel like I have more in track and field, and this is my time to actually do it. And you want to be in the best shape of your life and, you know, be ready. And so going into it, I remember thinking of that type of thing. So then when I was actually flying over, I met up with other Olympians, American Olympians, and they actually were telling me they had been to, this like their second or third Olympics, and the one that I had talked to hadn't gotten a medal yet. So their advice, and it was really advice from just in a caring place where they were saying, like, you know, Dawn, don't stress about, you know, like, when you're here, they're like, think about it, so many athletes come and don't get medals. So their thing was, no one gets a medal your first Olympic. Don't stress yourself out. Just take in the whole experience because it's like the greatest thing ever. They're like, it can be like a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And so, like, don't overwhelm yourself. You know, like, I have to get a medal. I have to win. And, I, like I said, I knew they were trying to come from a loving place. It was just like, no. Like, I am not going to just take in the fight. Like, that is not what I'm here to do. And so, for me, it was more of like, I'm going to maybe not talk to so many people because I don't want to hear that again. You know, like that was, I just wanted to stay in my thought of, I think that I have a good chance of walking away with the medal. And that's just where I wanted my mindset to be. I didn't want to let any part of creep in of, well, you know, it's okay, you know. So those are things that I was battling, you know what I mean, going over and being there. But I will say I was blessed with, you know, like my coach really just trusting him and knowing he had been there before. And he's like, I'm looking at the hurdles and I'm seeing which I know what you're capable of. And he's like, you, he said, you're getting a medal, but the color of the medal is up to you. Now, what you're saying, he's like, if you handle business, you can win this whole thing. And I'm like, what? I, I can, like, like, one, like, one will be beside, like, first place to be beside my name. He's like, it's just up to you. So, that's the thing that I was battling with going over. So, do you think that helped you? The idea that it was, the that expectation was there? Well, yeah, I mean, definitely, because I just, like, my coach, I've been trained with him since I was 18 years old, so there's a sense of, like, father figure there, and then knowing how much time he had put into me when I injured myself, uh, when I had to have that knee surgery, you know, and, like, knowing that he had trained me before. He wasn't making me pay anything because, like I said, I'm working three jobs. He knows I have no extra money, you know what I mean, to pay him. So this coach, Bobby Kirby, that coach, Jack Joanna Kirby, Gail Beavers, Flojo, you know what I mean, all these athletes. Like, no, no, you don't have to pay me. What? Like, you 
you see something in me as well where you're saying, I believe my time that I want to put into you is worth it. So then when you get there and he says these things, obviously you're like, you know, almost like, yeah, you want to make them proud. But then they're letting you know, like, I am proud of you way. So I definitely dealt with that, but not in a, I didn't feel like if I lost, that he's just going to be like, so you can just go home. I'm not coaching you anymore. But, you know, if he said felt like this is what I was capable of, I didn't want him to start second guessing me ever. So that's what I, yeah, I was losing my mindset. Did you think, did you ever think about retiring after Beijing? Oh, no. I, was, I felt like I was literally just catching my stride. So Beijing was, and it's funny because when I did win, so many people were like, so are you going to keep running? Because what else is there left? I'm like, well, I just really started running professionally last year. You know, like I've only been doing this two years. I'm like, there's no way I can stop right now. So for me, it, it was not an option um, at all to retire after Beijing. I knew for sure I wanted to go to 2012. That was, that was an absolute. There were a lot of injuries in between. Oh my goodness, yes it was. <laughs> yes. So, yes. talk a little bit about getting through all of that. Oh my goodness, 2010 when I hurt myself, I could not. I was just in the shock of my life. Like I had never been hurt before and I had been injured a lot. But this one was, it was so out of the blue. I was training was going great and I was going to Doha. And this is the day that my flight, my plane left and I wanted to go to the track in the morning to shake out. So I go to the track and I jog over the top of the hurdle. And I mean jog. Like, you guys have, I, you've seen my race, so you know how fast I go. I literally jogged to a hurdle. I went over and my, when my foot, my trail leg landed, it just kind of, like, wobbled, like, off balance. And my knee just, I felt something in my knee, and I'm like, oh, my God. I just felt like I hurt myself. Like, I hurt myself. And I'm like, my flight leaves in, like, five hours. So I went to my place. I got my bag, and I went to my physical therapist. And so I went inside. He's like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, I'm leaving, like, three hours now. Can you check my knee? He checked my knee, and he's like, yes, yeah, you hurt yourself. He's like, you shouldn't go. And I was like, no, 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 they paid all this money. He's like, thank you. Like, I have to go there. He's like, but you can't run. I'm like, but I have to go. I get on the plane, I go over there, and the whole time I told the flight attendant, so I'm in business class, and I tell them, can you just keep bringing me buckets of ice? Like, I have to ice it the whole time. So I couldn't even straighten my leg. It was, my knee was swelling up. It was terrible, guys. So I literally iced my knee, like, the whole time there, get there, and my coach is there now. And he's seeing me, he's like, what is wrong with, like, because I'm living around. He's like, I left you when you were healthy. So, you know, I ended up running in that, I, I ran in that race. I am crazy. So I was supposed to be in lane four and five, and I told my agent, like, I'm not going to be able to run, you know, but I want to do my appearance. So I was going to wave, you know, at everybody and just say, like, sorry, I ain't know. It's going bad. So they put me in lane eight. So when the gun went off, I would just jog to the side and not disturb anyone. And the gun goes off. And just my killer instinct kicked in, and I'm running the race, and I'm winning until about hurdle six or seven. And then my knee just completely gives out, and... I end up finishing the race, and I still beat one person. So I was like, ha-ha. And so I go, I just fly back home, and I have to have this surgery. And the whole year was just a bust. This was my first race. It was in May. It was early May. I was so devastated, sitting around the whole summer. I remember I went back to my mom's house, back to my Louis, and just sitting on her bed, sitting on the couch with her, watching just the whole season just go by, and really wondering, is this it, though? Like, will I be able to come back from that? And... Ended up being able to come back 2011. It was just the slowest comeback of my life. I just remember I was stuck at running 12-7. It's like I could not break the rhythm of running 12-7. And by this time, you know, I had run fast and I was like, I have run 12-4. Like, why can I not break 12-7? And we get to a championship in Daegu. And I, the first round I ran like 12-7, but it was, I was trying. And just, like I said, my first round, I'm jogging. And so I went to the back and I told my coach, like, oh, my goodness, I was trying and I ran 12-7. So the second round, the next, next day comes, second round, go again, and I ran 12-7. And I went to the back and I was, my coach was across the track and I just screamed at him. I yelled his name, Bobby! And I was like, get over here. He walked over here and I was like, we got to figure this out. And I'm like, I'm going to lose. Like, I want to be bad, though. Like, I was like, okay, I don't think I'm going to win this thing, 
the twelve seven month is the back. And I'm like, I'm trying. So he gets into this mindset, this song that me and Jim are in the corner and he's telling me like, You gotta do this, you gotta do that and I'm pretty much like hyping myself up like, We gotta go for it <laughs> and I ended up going twelve four I ended up in the yard and that's when I went twelve forty seven in the finals and I was in lane eight. I was in the outside. And so, you know, so he was finally, like, I shook off, you know, all the, you know, like, I'm finally back. And I ended up being the second place in a tying run in 12.47, but she ended up getting second. I got third. And then there's 2012. And by the time 2012 came, I was pretty much back to feeling like myself. I felt like I was good and ready to go. You know, I had shaken off any of the hesitation. And I remember going into, uh, I had the London Dining League meet. And this was, this was probably June or July. And the Olympics is in August, and I had irritated my hamstring the day before I was supposed to be for this diamond league race, and I felt so bad because for me, I really take this serious. This is my line of work. It's, you know, like if you're paying me to come and put up a performance, that's what I'm supposed to do, and I'm supposed to do it to the best of my ability. And you know, I, I don't say I want to go somewhere I did, but I don't want to go anymore. And so when I injured my hamstring, I just I'm like, you know, I'm letting these people down. Like if you ever wanted to come. You know, he won this big race between me and Sally, and uh, my coach pretty much told me, he said, Dawn, this is the Olympic year. He's like, the only important race, he's like, and I hate to say it, but the only important race is the Olympics. He's like, you have to go to London. He's like, you're, you're going to miss this London, so then you can qualify to go to the big London. You know, and I was like, okay, and I, I would never say I could not lose. I had irritated my hamstring, so we took time off from that. Was then by the Olympic trials, I felt good. I was ready to go, and I won that Olympic trials, and then went to the Olympics, and you know, got silver. So it was just definitely some scary moments in there. You know, 2010, will I be able to come back? And in 2000, you know, 12, I really just hurt my hamstring this close to you know the Olympics, and it's really just understanding that balance and stuff that you need, you know, for your body as well. It's trying to stay calm in these tough situations. I love that. You blow out your knee, and what you're really worried about is, oh, I didn't come and laugh. Right. Listen, hey, yeah. you got you got to get you somebody. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh man, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. My mother, she just she gets a kick out of what you know. She's been there at a lot of my races. She just get a kick out. Of, she just like, sweetie, she's like, you are funny. I'm like, mom, I gotta go for it. Like, we're doing it. We're doing it. <laughs> So in, in London, did it help that you kind of knew what to expect from the Olympics? Oh, absolutely. I always say my two, my two Olympics were so different. They could not have been any different than black and white because literally my first Olympics, I always say, I felt like a baby sitting there. I did not know what was going on. I'm like, oh my God, just like, what are, what are these rings even about? Like, I just felt like I don't know anything. In the next Olympics, I always I felt like a grown woman going in here. Like, I know exactly what to expect, and I know exactly what to do. And so, like, even to the point where after the second round, so the semis, I go to the back, you know, and I go to my coach, and I'm like, you know, what are we going to do? Like, you know, my shakeout or my warm-up again for the finals. And he's like, you tell me. He said, you know exactly what your body needs. And I looked at him like, what? Like, that was, that was the biggest, like, I trust that I feel like anyone has almost ever given me because this moment, this is both of our dreams on the line, you know, and he's like, we have been in this fire many, many times. You know what you need? I know what you, what do you need? And that for me was just a moment where I was like, I will never forget that moment between me and my coach. And, and I did, I felt extremely ready and I didn't remember, I remember stepping out on the track for the finals. So you're sending your block and my mother, she always, since high school, it's always this meal she does for me. She, well, she says my name, but it's the way she says it. And even at, at any meet that she's ever been in, I've always heard her. And also at the 2012 Olympics, I'm setting my block, and she's at the finish line. Okay, so I'm at the starting line, she's at the finish line. And she always, she finds a perfect space to yell my name. You hear people yelling and screaming, you know, before the race. She always finds a perfect space. Almost like when everybody, not, not before we get in the block, but it's always a certain space she finds. And she yells my name, and I do this thing, two fingers up, two fingers down to let her know I'm okay and we're ready to rock. So she yelled that and I was like, oh man, I heard my mom. And I was like, we about to get down now. You know, and so uh, she set my blocks and we're standing there and right when everybody, you know, starts to get quiet because we're about to get in the block, it just starts raining. 
and I just remember looking up like, could it get any more dramatic? I was like, come on, you know, we've got the lights and the cameras, and I remember thinking in that moment, this is literally what I prayed for. I prayed to be in the best shape of my life. I prayed to have executed to be here because you have a lot of people there that, for whatever reason, you know, just they made it to the finals. You know, they they snuck in, but they're not quite ready to go, or just where they didn't, you know, and they were supposed to be there. And I just remember thinking, like, you know, this race supposed to be between me and Sally, and this is exactly what I prayed for to be this nervous, to be like, oh, you know, but excited, and you know, it was just like, okay, let's put up or shut up, you know, so. That to me is, like I said, another moment I will never forget. Like, I can tell I've been in this sport so long and I've been around so many athletes, and to be ready or get count, you, I, that just doesn't happen to a lot of people. It really does not happen to a lot of people. And so I've been so, so blessed to be ready a lot of times when it counts. And then the, the race, I mean, not just the rain, and I don't know how that affects the race, but at the end, it was so close, nobody yeah. knew for several seconds how the outcome was. What were you thinking right. then? Well, okay, so uh, what I was thinking was, is I messed up in the race, and I'm hoping I was able to pull it off. Because the gun went off, I did not have a great start. And I remember thinking, so to me, it was like Kelly was on the right side. So Sally was, what, three lanes? Two people in between me and Sally. And when the gun goes off, my um, training, well, not training partner, other athletes in the USA, Kelly Wells, was beside me. And she got out, and her, she got off of that home. I was like, well, you're not winning, Dawn. You need to move. And so I moved, and I passed her really pretty quickly. And then I get to the middle, and I remember I clipped maybe hurdle like six or seven. And typically, if you clip a hurdle, find yourself kind of backing off because you're a little off balance and you kind of have to give yourself at least like a hurdle and a half you got to kind of gather yourself and say, okay, I'm back on balance, now I can press again. And I remember thinking, we do not have time for that. Either we're going to crash and burn or we win. And so when I clipped that hurdle, I literally was like, well, I may fall in that I don't have time for this. So I just kept, you know, pressing and going for it. And so I really feel like I know I did. I leaned too soon because I had made those mistakes earlier. I don't lean until my fourth step. Often, I told you five steps off the last hurdle. I don't lean until my fourth step, but I end up leaning at my second step because I was in a panic. And once you lean at your second step, you can still only stay into your lean for so many steps. And so by the time I got to the finish line, I was coming out of my lean. And as you know, point zero two is what I lost by. And so I was like, ah, I mean, but I will say, I remember looking to, like, me and Sally looked over at each other when we crossed the line. And the look in her eyes was like, oh, shoot, she's right there. And I was like, oh, shoot, she's right there. We were both like, how did we do this? Like, could someone have me blown each other out? Like, how did we, you know, and then standing there, and I remember the time popped up. And that was this moment of, it was, it was so quick, they were so close. Like, oh, I got second. But then when I saw my time, it was like, that was amazing. You know, and it's just, because what you want is hot for me. I, like I said, I was ready to go. I always wanted to be ready. But the fact that we, the, the race, that the, I feel like this was one of the prime races for the Olympics. Like they said, like, you know, this is going to be the full value on who's it's going to be. And the fact that we literally gave them the nail writing, like, oh shoot, how did they, like, really both of them were this ready and they really just ran that close to time. I just was so happy that, you know what I mean? I was able to live up to that. And I'm like, you know, I don't say you see boxing matches sometimes, and it's like, oh, that was a plus. You know, we paid all this money. So I'm like, no, you paid your money to come to see our race. And y'all wanted you got a show. <laughs> I love that. So Sally that you're referring to, Sally Pearson of Australia, who won yeah. the gold medal, just so everybody knows who we're talking about. Right. So after that, then, next four more years, and, and you felt you had it in you. Yes, I did, and I ended up getting injured, so I got injured that, I think that April of 2016, actually, um, and another thing, training once again was going so well, it was so, that was just devastating, because I had already made history when, once I won in 2008, 
And when I came back and made the next team and got silver, no one had ever won gold in the 100-meter hurdles. And they got another medal at the next Olympics. Because we, we see it. The hurdles are just hard. Like, it's hard. First of all, it's hard to run them. And then it's hard to win again and again. Because you already have, forget the people besides you, you have 10 obstacles that you have to do perfect every time. And so I have made history by getting gold and silver. So to go to a third Olympics, it was just like, oh, this is it. This is, this is just going to be the granddaddy of them all. And in that April, I ended up hurting myself. And I just was, I remember getting going into, it was like, almost like an entering, because you want this so bad, you forget all of the experiences that you have before and you go into a sense of panic. You know, like, what do we, okay, we got to do this right now? We gotta, what do we do? It's like, it's April. You know what I mean? Like, June is when Olympic trials are. Just stay calm. But it's like, you're not thinking of staying calm. You're like, I'm injured, and I'm not supposed to be injured in a year of the Olympics. Um, and so, and my hamstring was just a little worse than we thought, so it took more time to recover. And it was a slow recovery, and that was so frustrating. Um, and then the two weeks before my coach, we did a training camp in Chula Vista for the Olympic trials. And I was locking in. He was locking in. Training was going great. And at the Olympic trials, before the second round, I tore my hip. So that was just, that was one of those, you're just like, I don't understand. And I remember warming up, and I felt my hip go. And I, I called my um, my husband, and I'm like, you know, get him on the side, get him on the side, guy. So he runs over, and he's checking my hip, and he's just like, he's like, yeah, I don't, like, he's like, I don't even know if you can run. I'm like, oh, I'm running. Like, I was like, my leg will fall off, but I'm going to try. You know, I'm like, my thing is, we're not here to just, to say this is it. Well, then let's let this be it, you know. And I just need to know for myself, because I would not have been okay mentally sitting in the back saying, oh, it just bothers me, you know, although extremely painful. But still, my mind is like, no, let me fall off if we're not going to run. So, you know, I went, and I just remember being in the race, and it was almost like my leg, my right leg just dragging. It was not, it just wouldn't come with me. And I'm very, like I said, I'm very checked into my body. It does, nine times out of ten, it does exactly what I actually do. And it was super weird for the gun to go off, and I just felt like I was in slow motion. And I remember crossing the line and just being in complete shock that I didn't win my heat. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to the final. And what it really hit me was me walking off the track, and my husband runs around the corner. And the look on his face put in perspective everything that had just happened. He was, uh, the look was, of just pure confusion. It was just like confusion and shock. Like it was like confusion of this isn't supposed to happen right now. This is supposed to happen. And it, he looked like he saw a train wreck. Like he looked like, you know, someone saw it. He was like, they're so devastated. You're like, they need to be helped as well. Like the ambulance comes. Like, so let this man get help as well. He looked like that. And he just was like, he was like, are you okay? And you know, he said, what happened? And I just was like, I couldn't make it happen. Like I could not make my leg do what I wanted to do. And I remember I sat down and, you know, the media now, we just take everyone just waiting on me and wants me to come. And my husband brought me a, uh, a chair to sit outside the tent. And I'm sitting there and I'm just crying, crying, crying. And there's this one person from the media that keeps poking his head out. And we hear him. He goes back inside. She's still out there. She's crying, but she's coming. She's coming. And I'm just like, and they just kept over and over and over again. Because I sat out there for like 30 minutes. I just could not gather myself. And I knew I was going to do my interview. But I just, I was like, I needed time. And they just kept looking, and they're like, no, she's there, she's there, she's coming. Eventually, I get myself together, and I do my interview. And I remember one question was, you know, so you know, you weren't able to put it together here, but will it make it better if in 2017, the next year, you get the uniform? If you make the team in 2017, did you get that uniform? Because, you know, whatever Olympics, so 2008 Olympics, 2009 World Championship team, you get the 2008 Olympics. 2012 Olympics, 2012. 13 World Championship team in the 2012 Olympics, 2016 Olympics, 2017 World Championship team, 2016 uh, outfit. And so they asked, will it make it better if you get the 2016 Olympic outfit? And I was like, I don't, like, and I know, I know, I know, they have to ask the questions, and I get it. And I was just like, no, I wanted to get one. Like, I'm like, I don't want to use one, although they're not used at all. But you know, in your mind, you're like, I wanted it now, and I do remember in 2017 when I made the team, the 
same lady asked me, and I was like, yeah, I just feel great to get this outfit. You know, you're just in that moment, and you just cannot see anything positive, you know, coming from that. And I had missed the final by three zero one, and so me and my husband finally go back to the car, and my family had an Airbnb out there, so I was going to go see them, because I just felt like I needed to be around family. And I go, and I sit, sit in the car, and my husband's about to start the car, and I had looked up, you know, all the times and see who was in the finals, and I saw that my name was just the first name that missed. So he started the car, and I told him, turn the car off, and I was like, they, like, I just kept saying, cause I was just such shock. It was like, I was, it wasn't real. So I kept saying, this, this is like a dream. And I was like, no, you're going to adjust the list, and my name's going to be in the finals. And I was like, you can't drive away yet. Because I have to go back and run the finals. And he's just like, okay. And he just sat there in silence. And we just sat in silence. And I kept hitting refresh over and over and over again. Until, say we ran at 5 o'clock. Until 5.01 happened. And then I heard the race go off. And then I told him, you can go now. And he drove off and we went to my family's house. And it was terrible. Oh, my God. That's awful. Yeah, no, that breaks my heart. I know. Listen, it was it was terrible. And my uncle, who was actually he was pretty sick, it was so great that he came. He came, and so they're at the house, and he had no idea. So he had to, like me, my family, we had pretty much only experienced me running well in my career. Like I, I made every single team, right? I pretty much always got medal. So I guess he's never really gone bad when they were there. So. My family, like I said, my uncle was sick, so he didn't go out to his rating that day. So he stayed at home to watch on TV, in the Airbnb to watch on TV. So him and my aunt were there. So when I got to the house, <laughs> I just started dropping my bag, and I take off my jacket, and I just, like, pretty much jumped into his lap, and I just screamed and cried. And he was just like, oh, my goodness, okay, what's oh, oh. And it was just, oh, I just, it was pretty much like the first person I saw was going to have kids. I just, I cried, fall, fall. And then my aunt, she is so amazing because you know you have those people that can kind of say the right thing. You know, some people say stuff and you're just like, no, you just never see positive. You're like, no, 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 I don't care. It's stupid, it's stupid. But in this moment, she told me, she said, I just have to ask you one thing. And she's like, started being emotional. She's like, has God ever done you wrong? And I'm like, and I was so upset. I was so angry because I didn't think you seen And I'm like, oh, no. You know, because I'm like, well, no, like, obviously things don't always go the way you want. And I'm like, no. So she's like, have you been blessed to make every change? And I'm like, oh, yeah. She's like, you've never felt this feeling because this is something that's never, like, you know, he's always blessed you with everything you've asked for. And I'm like, but she's like, so who are we to say, like, if this moment he's not teaching you something? And I was so, like, embarrassed to be so upset because she was so right. I had never experienced not making a team. I had, and there had been no other athlete that I've ever raced with that didn't make a team. I'm the only person that has ever always made a team. And so it was like, oh, you didn't want to cry and throw this pity party. So you didn't make one team. It was, it was crazy how you get so caught up in, you know, your dreams and you work hard and you're like, I worked for this, like, I earned it, if you will, you know, like, I, I, I worked for this, and I was like, because I said, I was like, I'm not going to go to any more races this year, like, I'm done, and I had already been confirmed for races, and my aunt said, because of one thing, you're going to throw away the gift that he gave you, I was so mad at myself, being that upset, that I felt like I had the right to be that upset. Like, it was just, it was a crazy thing. And I had to have a lot of moments where I sat down and apologized to God to say, like, I really act like I was, I don't know, I felt like it was, like, in that moment, like, I thought I was better than somebody else. It was like, no, this is the journey that he has for me. And whatever he's teaching me right now, he's going to have to cry through it and learn. But that gut feeling of, I can't even describe the pain. It is, I don't even know. I can't describe it. It is terrible and the sad part is, is no one can help you but you only, the only thing that helps is time and that's the worst thing because you know you're going to have to live another day tomorrow where you're hurting the next day where you're hurting and the next day and then eventually it gets better and you don't know when that day's coming and so when you look forward you just look like it's never going to get better because in this moment I'm in pain 
this is the worst I've ever experienced in my life. So, yeah. Did you watch Rio? I did because then I ended up doing it back home. I ended up doing commentary for NBC. And so I had to watch Rio because every morning at 4 a.m. I had, uh, well, 6 a.m. I had to wake up at 4. At 6 a.m. I had to commentate on the race. So that was really a really cool experience, but I just, it was such uh, a, and I mean, anyone that competes, you know, I mean, yes, you're like, oh, that's, you know, cool for competitors to, like, run well, that's great, but I was in complete shock that the Americans swept, and, like, the thing is, they were so capable of it, it was definitely, it was definitely the event where it's like, you know, we have three Americans that with the lineup should definitely go one, two, or three. And then when they did, it's like, wow, like, I wanted to be a part of that, you know? So, you know, dealing with that, like, I watched it. But obviously when I saw that, I had a moment where I just sat there, my husband sitting on the couch, and he's just like, we're sitting in silence. And eventually I started talking. He's like, you okay? And I'm like, that really happened. And I was like, okay, but it's like, no, all three girls, like, I knew them, and I'm like, I'm friends with them. So I'm like, yay, slash, oh, my goodness. That really happened, you know, so it's a torn feeling, but it was really cool to see that, seriously, to see the red, white, and blue, you know, be on the podium. That was really cool. But you didn't retire right away. No. You, you ran for a couple more years. You've only retired this year. Right. Did you think about Tokyo? I definitely, absolutely. I mean, that would be, yeah, I would just completely be lying if I did but. To me, I've always known, like I said, and I've said before, I've always known I wanted to be a wife, an Olympic champion, a wife, and a mom. Like, literally, it's always been those three things. Because I have a really close relationship with my mom, and I've always thought the love that I have for her and the love that I know she has for me, I want to experience that one day. Like, that has to be the most special thing in the world to be a mom. And for me, I... I never thought that I was going to be 30. I'm 34. I never thought I was going to be 34 even thinking about having my first child. Like, that just, I thought I was going to be 24. Like, yes, I'm going to have babies in between my career, and I want to come back. But then, you know, I met my husband. got Well, not met my husband. We got married when I was 28, and this track was going well, and we discussed. And, you know, I'm like, I'm healthy. We're fine. And I, I, want, I want to wait back 2016 for sure. And so 2016, you know, I'm 32. And then I'm like, oh, I'm in my 30s now. Okay. And speaking of 2020, it just got to a point for me where my, and it's true, my urge to be someone's mother is stronger than my urge to want to go to 2020. And I, I, I didn't think that that was, I knew I was like, I know I'm going to have my baby, but I never thought that that was going to happen, but it's so true. I would wake up and I'm like, at practice, yeah, this is great. I'm like, I'm like, this is fun. I'm ready to somebody mom, you know, and that's just, that's just where I am in my life. And people are like, well, you can have your baby and come back. And I'm like, I mean, I don't think I want to do that. And I was like, if I do that, that's what's going to happen. But I want my kids first, right? You know, so I'm like, if so, I'll surprise the world. And I'll be surprised too by announcing it, but I don't want to wait another year. And, you know, it's funny when I did the, um, I did an AHA speaking event. It's called an AHA speaking event that I just did. It was a TED Talk. Oh, man, like two weeks ago. And they had a panel come up at first, and they asked the ladies, it was a, a lot of ladies that were really establishing their careers, so it was older ladies, they were like 50, 60, you know, just asking them just how they, because they had you know, every single woman had, I think, been in the job and switched careers when they were at the height of their career, so very established. So I'm like, well, I feel like that's almost, you know, where I am. And one of the ladies, she made a comment, she said her and her husband, she said she had knew one day she wanted to have children, and... But she's always been like, things are going so well in my career. We can wait, we can wait. You know, technology's advancing. We can wait, we can wait. And she said she literally waited too long. She said she went to, you know, eventually she said, okay, you know what? This is a good time. I've done enough. Let me just kind of, you know, let's start our family. And she said she ended up having, I think, like three or four miscarriages and then went to the doctors. And they literally told her, literally, your anger too old. You cannot have any children. So she said her biggest regret is constantly saying, my career's going so well. My career's going so well. Like, well, we can wait. We can wait. And she's like, well, she knew that that was a desire of hers. And you almost get caught up in, and I feel like this too, because I know I did. You get caught up in, you know, you got to do the while it's hot. You know, like, I'm, I'm hot. You're trying to go, well, you can't, you can't stop now. You can't stop now. And it's like, yeah, but 
I mean, the way I for me, I would feel like I was running slow, but I weren't too slow. You know, it's like so I was never going to stop running. You know, and it's like when do I say I have other dreams and other desires outside of track and outside of being a mom? You know, when do I want to step into those? And so hearing her say that to me really just helped me. Like, like you know, I've already said I'm retiring from the sport, but two weeks ago I was like, wow, to hear that. You know, and she said to her and her husband, she's like, we'll never have our own children, and I'm like, why? you know, and I'm like. You do, you get caught in this moment of, like, I'm running well. Like, when did you find that time to stop? But then you have to consider my husband, he, he, because I said in 2016 I was going to retire. So 2017 to 2018 were me being like, I want to keep going. So he's been there supporting me these extra two years. But when did you stop and say, you're not married to yourself? And you got to talk about this over and over again. And he went into his leaving in 2016. <laughs> After that was when you're going to have your children. But you keep pushing, and it's like, when do you say when? So I didn't want 2021 to be like, okay, and then I'm just like, I waited too long, and I'm not happy. Yeah. Well, Don Harper, you can adopt me. <laughs> <laughs> I want Don Harper to be my mom. <laughs> oh goodness, I know, I know. Because <laughs> I'm older than you, but that's not the point. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Oh, well, I hope that dream comes true and happens soon for you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dawn. Don't forget to follow the next chapter of Dawn's journey. You can find her on Twitter and Insta at at dharp100mh. On Facebook, she's Dawn Harper Nelson, and her website is dawnharpernelson.com. We'll have links to all of those in the show notes. I mean, seriously, I st- I cried today when I was editing up the interview. I got all teary about Rio 2016. I'm. We're going to have to go back through the episodes and figure out how many people we've made cry. <laughs> because this is starting to be a, a, a trend, but on a, on a good way in the sense that isn't it amazing how much all these really different people that we've talked to how the meaning behind the Olympics makes them cry. Right. It just, it means so much to them and it means so much to their families and it's just, and it means so much to us and it, I don't know, it just. Right. Well, it's, it's, the Olympics are more than sport because they have those values and they have that idealism and you get this feeling that we can all be together in this great big world doing activities and sports and, it's really cool to think for a while we can all get along and we can all be good and challenge ourselves to be the best. I don't, it's just really cool. And you see it all there together in every sport. It is really cool. And it's, you know, I just thought it was me that cried every time that stupid Kleenex commercial would come up. (laughs) Thanks mom. No, I don't thank mom. Stop. I'm crying. (laughs) But no, so it's, it's nice to know I'm not alone. That even big, strong, tough hurdlers who could break me in half with like two fingers. I know, right? Oh my, oh my gosh. gosh. She's amazing. Still cry about the Olympics. Right? You know what was cool though? And I'll I'll put the links to the, the races in the show again. Have you mm-hmm. seen her London 2012? Yeah. And it was cool after, well, it wasn't cool because, you know, she didn't win. But I was really fascinated how once she explained the race to me. I saw what was happening, right? I did too. It I was did. so neat to hear that story behind it because when you're watching at the beginning, you're like, go down, go, 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 oh, no, what happened? And then I saw her lean early. I saw her like have that little misstep. I'm like, oh, wow. I know so much happens in that very quick, obviously the very quick 12, 13 seconds, but when you know what to look for and you know it was really cool was I was watching the British announcer. That's just what the YouTube yes, yeah. one that came up. And he was sitting there watching the race. And everything that he said right after the race was what Don had told us. Because he's like, oh, that looks like Don Harper had a little bit of a stumble at the beginning. And she, so he caught so many things that she then told us about later. I know. And it made me respect that announcer. Like, wow, you really noticed everything that was going on. Right. Well, they get the best of the best. 
And clearly he knew it because he said it all. But okay, I, I do want to mention this because this really bothered me. So I was watching the race from London mm-hmm. where Sally Pearson won. And what really, really upset me was I was looking through the comments and I know, don't look at the comments, but I wanted to look at the comments and race came into it. So many people talking about, oh, now Sally Pearson has defeated, defeated Don Harper and we're reasserting, you know, kind of a white power thing. Oh, you're kidding. And that made me so angry on so many levels it made me angry because now john harper's my best friend right we've interviewed it made me angry because i know that's not what any of those runners were there for oh yeah right um yeah yeah this this whole you know unspoken conspiracy unspoken conspiracy that we need to get the white person back on top and everything. Right. And I that. know Sally Pearson. I, I don't know anything about her other than that, those couple of races that I've watched, but I can pretty much say her blood would boil if she read that. Oh, right. So I was reminded that how idealistic we, you know, we were just saying how idealistic we are and want to be that so many of the, that sometimes the, horribleness of the outside world intrudes in on these races and it makes me mad i'm sorry it's okay but it does it stinks yeah commenters stink yeah everybody don't read the comments because it's just going to make you mad but dawn was great she was she was amazing she was generous she was fantastic and i yet again another person i need to like Talk to me every morning and tell me that I can do it and I'm going to be great and get off the couch and go do my hurdle exercises. Right. And, you know, be fabulous. I'm with you there. Yeah. So we should all channel our inner Don Harper Nelsons. I know. Go do some <laughs> hurdle exercises. I'll be diving <laughs> over the hurdles. <laughs> Doing a roll. Just put a pad in front of the hurdle. I will give it a shot. All right, before we get into our other segments, we hope you'll consider supporting the show. It takes a lot of work and time to put this on, so uh, we're trying to earn some money to help defray the expenses. Please check out our Patreon site at patreon.com slash oldlimfever and our Tee Public merch site, which is the Oldlimfever store. Please support us that way. We'd also love you to share the show with your friends and family and your neighbors and your students or your teachers, and help us find more of our people. Moving on to our Team Olympic Fever update. Tofu! I was trying to mix it up there. Thank you. (laughs) We have some news from the world of bobsled this week. Uh, Team Olympic Fever member Nick Cunningham has joined USA Bobsled and Skeleton as an assistant development coach. Wouldn't you? Oh my gosh, I would love to get coached by Nick. And he really does look like Chris Kringle right now. <laughs> Remember that that cartoon, A Year Without, I think it's A Year Without a Santa Claus, where there's the young Chris Kringle? He really does look like him. Oh, man. And but... I mean that's a compliment, <laughs> if that wasn't clear. Anyway, he'll be helping the next generation of bobsledders uh, get better. And then also from bobsled, Lauren Gibbs made the national team again with Alana Myers-Taylor. They got a bye because they won the silver at Pyeongchang. So congratulations to them. I know, right? Seriously. But they were both at the Women in Sport banquet this week. Oh, right. They both looked gorgeous. I'm just going to throw. Oh, my God. Really, really nice pictures from there. So nice showing. Way to go, Team Olympic Fever. Yeah. We have a Tokyo 2020 update. The Paralympic schedule has been set. So the Paralympics will take place from August 25 to September 6th. And the schedule is jam-packed. They've got 22 sports on the program. So we will have a link to the schedule. I'm excited. I'm excited to see... Do you know how long 
I, I have to look at the calendar. How long of a break we have between the two? The Olympics are July 24th through August 9th, and then there's a few weeks off until okay, August good. 25th. Yes. So there's good. So we'll have recovery time. time. Recover. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We can't. Yeah. That's, we're going to need that throat massage person. <laughs> I'm sure of that. And then a little bit of controversy, of course. In that Inside the Games uh, website reports that this company called KYB and its subsidiary doctored some data for the hydraulic oil dampers that are aimed at reducing shaking of buildings during earthquakes. And KYB is involved with building the Olympics Aquatic Center and the Ariake Arena, which is going to have volleyball. So that was lovely to hear. You know, they better get that squared away because there better not be any damage to the Mirtha pools. Right. Because that would upset me. That would be upsetting. Don't mess with my Mirtha pools. I know. All right. We also have an update from Beijing 2022. Really? Yes. You, well, you know, maybe if you have some planning in or experience in big ceremony planning, you can make a proposal for how the Beijing opening ceremonies will go. Really? Yes. Okay, well, you can do the all, whole ceremony. You can and develop just part of it, but they're looking for proposals. Well, here's my proposal. Drums. Yes. You know how much I love the Chinese drums. Yes. That's my proposal. Drums. <laughs> I'm going to develop the whole, you know how they always have the stupid themes and there's like the little kids. Mm-hmm. Little kids can jump out of the drum. Ooh. We could have the drum as the recurring theme. I don't know what else. Keep going. <laughs> I'll get my team on it. Come on, team. That's I see. Just I like see. my dog. <laughs> but I was afraid you... of drums, so I don't know quite what I was thinking there. Would you have what? the Beijing 2008 mascots make a surprise guest appearance? <gasps> we could have all the mascots do like a mascot parade and play the drums and then have the Beijing mascot come out, like be big. That would be cool. You know what Ben said to me the other day? He's like, you know how the Milwaukee Brewers have that sausage race and like the fifth inning? Have you ever seen this? And the Washington Nationals also have a race of like presidential mascots these really tall mascot museums and they run around the field and you kind of bet on who's going to be first, second or third. And they're kind of top heavy. So sometimes they hit each other and, and tip over. <laughs> so Ben's like, they need to do mascot races yes! at the Olympics, bring out old mascots, have them run against the new ones. Well, what's the name of the one from Barcelona? Kobe. Kobe. So, Kobe's already going to have a problem because he won't be able to see unless he's running <laughs> sideways. So we got a problem there. And, you know, the England one, doesn't he only have one foot? He so has he's one eye. Like, yeah, he's got to hop. Oh, he's going to have to hop. Well, we, we know who's going to win. Suharang! Oh, Su- <laughs> Did you see that Pyeongchang put back up a, like a Suharang best of clip? This week on, on <gasps> social media. It was like, I didn't know I needed this in my life, but I did. Thank you. Okay. You got to put that in the show notes okay. and share that with everybody. I'll, Cause I'll, I'll, I'll find that and post that to Facebook too. Okay. And probably on Instagram. Cause if it involves. It's so, yes. Okay. I, uh, I need, I need all of the Suharang in my life. You know who would do really crappy in the mascot race? Izzy. Yeah. Because he's kind of too stupid to run in a straight line and he'd follow, oh, I don't know what I'm doing in the race. What is it? (laughs) So there you go. There's my insult for the week for those of you playing Allison insult bingo. There you go. That should be like the center square because you know I'm going to insult Izzy. (laughs) Just a freebie. That's your gimme. All right, we'll work on making those cards. <laughs> it's true. All right, on that note, I think we'll wrap it up for this week. We'll catch you here back ne- next week for more Olympic stories. 
Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at Olympfever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. I need all of the Suharang in my life.